Another episode of Can You Dig It, a podcast by the Silver Screen and Roll Network. I'm your host, as always, Jacob Rude. Want to uh, thank you guys for for tuning in in the dead of the off season. Joining me again uh, this week, uh, my friend and yours, checking in from Las Vegas, Alex Torres. Alex, how much money have you put down on the Lakers to win the title next season? Um, I can't say that I have done that yet, um, but, um, I haven't done much gambling since I've been here, which is kind of surprising, but yeah, I don't, not, I don't think I, I don't plan on doing much of it, to be honest. It's a, probably not a great time to do, to be gambling. I guess baseball is about the only thing, WNBA finals and baseball about the only things you, uh, you can bet on. And I don't want to sit in a sports book for four hours to watch a baseball game. So, uh, uh, Probably not a great time to go. I don't even know what the Lakers' title odds are, but uh, no, I don't think there's any. There's no scenario in which I'm betting on them to win the title, even after they sign Dennis Schroeder over. Uh, well, I think it was on Friday, technically. Your classic Friday news dump. Because time is a flat circle, and the Lakers have to bring back everybody who played for them. Uh, they signed Dennis Schroeder, uh, to a one-year deal. Everybody knows, uh, who Dennis Schroeder is, how he plays. He was just in Los Angeles a couple seasons ago. I, really, the only reaction I had is surprise that, uh, that they brought him back considering how awkward it was when things ended. What'd you think of, uh, of, of bringing him back? And I guess, how do you see him kind of fitting in? I mean, I think the initial reaction is, well, that's another guard, which we don't need, right? Um, so then, you know, after that, you kind of start thinking, well, maybe this is a good sign. Does this mean that they might have a rust deal in place or something cooking that, you know, means it's going to open up that spot for Beverly and Schroeder to kind of fight for those minutes on the point guard position? So that was my initial reaction. Then I kind of started thinking about it, looking at the number. I mean, it's a minimum deal, if I'm not mistaken. It's a very small deal. Um, to bring a guy like that, we need the bodies, if we're being honest. I think I mentioned this the last time you and I spoke. So from a serviceable standpoint perspective, you you know, I like to move, but and uh, it's not going to move the needle as far as the odds go, that's for sure. No, it will not. Um, the, yeah, he's not a bad player. I, and I, I was guilty of this as well. He was kind of held to the standard of when he turned down this $84 million extension reportedly, whether he did or didn't, he he's fired his agent since then. So I think that probably tells you all you need to know about how those uh, extension talks went. But he was kind of held to the standard of an $84 million player for a contract he didn't sign. Schroeder was good in his last Lakers stint. Uh, he didn't end it particularly well on the court. He struggled in the playoffs, but he was good. He was better than a minimum signing player. Um, he has his flaws. He, uh, but I thought he played well last time here for a minimum signing. I think it's a solid move. And like you said, it gives him another guy 
a guy that's played with LeBron and AD, um, a guy that has fit in around them before. And that backcourt with him and Pat Bev is going to be annoying as hell, if nothing else. I, I, they, I would imagine they'll be decent enough defensively. They're going to bug the hell out of teams uh, night in and night out. That's worth something. Um, so there's not a time. It sounds like the Lakers are considering bringing Russ off the bench. I'll believe it when I see it. But it sounds like uh, Russ, Dennis Schroeder, um, Kendrick Nunn, those guys are all going to be more the guards with Austin Reeves and even Pat Bev as kind of more wing options. Like you said, we'll see because it feels like they have an extra point guard on the roster right now. And mm-hmm. a lot can still change in the couple of weeks. Uh, a little, over, I think it's about a maybe two weeks now. I'm looking at my calendar. I think, well, just a week until training camp. But even then, a, a lot can still change. So we'll see how things play out. Uh, because the Lakers are also still reportedly talking about trades. Um, one report from Jovan Bua and Sam Avick uh, of The Athletic said that prior to the Donovan Mitchell trade, there was a four-team discussion with the Lakers, Utah, New York, and Charlotte that would have sent uh, Bojan Bogdanovic and Terry Rozier back to Los Angeles. There were no other details about the trade. I Those two alone are enough in terms of uh, – finances to get the deal done but i can't imagine a four-team trade ever got really that far anyway but it does sound like the lakers are interested in bogdanovich because in the same piece um the guys they are targeting from utah are bogdanovich jordan clarkson malik beasley again not a ton to talk about on this front because ironically last time you were on this is what we talked about with the jazz um so at the risk of kind of repeating ourselves a little bit, that specific package of Bogdanovich, Clarkson, Malik Beasley, how would you feel about that as a return for Russ? You know, let me start with this. I think it's hilarious that the idea, and you mentioned this the last time, and I hate to sound repetitive, but Malik Beasley Beasley and Scottie Pippen Jr. on the same roster is hilarious. Mm -hmm. I just cannot, you know, when I heard the, the latest report, when I read that, I'm like, wow, it's actually a potential, which is, again, hilarious. Uh, but, you know, I, I think I mentioned this the last time as well. I like it. You know, obviously, Jordan Clarkson, a proven six-man off the bench. I mean, you you like that, you know, scoring power to come in when Braun and AD had to bench and get that kind of, you know, youth and exuberance of Clarkson to get in there who can, you know, attack the basket, who can, you know, shoot the jumper pretty well. Um, and then you have, obviously, Bogdan, who the Lakers seem to be in love with. Big body, big wing. You know, at this point, we need all the wings we can get. Um, and I think Malik Beasley shot, shot at a decent clip, if I'm not mistaken. I think you mentioned that as well. So I like it. I mean, if you can pull the trigger on that, I think at this point, pull the trigger. Let's move on from this. Russ, we love you. Or at least us UCLA alumni, we love you. Hey, like, I don't know about the- we there. <laughs> you might. You can. Like, but I don't know about we. You know, that's that's our brewing right there. So I got to you know, show him a little love. But, you know, it, it's, it didn't work. And, again, unless he's willing to compromise, he's not going to work. Let's move forward. Yeah, the only scenario at this point that I think Russ can be effective is off the bench. That's a discussion. I'm not willing to put a ton of thought even into that right now because I don't think it would happen. But if if this is the trade the Lakers do, I would feel pretty good about it because 
this is not far off from kind of the level of player that they sent out for Russ. Kuzma, KCP, and Trez were the guys they sent out. Getting Bogdanovich, Clarkson, Beasley. I I don't even know it's necessarily a downgrade in talent. It might be a downgrade in fit. I was trying to think as you were talking, what the starting lineup would could be something like uh, if they do that trade, you're looking at probably Pat Bev, maybe Dennis Schroeder, LeBron, Bogdanovich, and AD. You have Clarkson, Beasley, a couple centers off the bench. Um, I'm not sure what the starting lineup would look like, but it would give you some flexibility back. Uh, as you said, Bogdanovich is a big body and the Lakers need that big wing. So, uh, and I mean, Clarkson played, uh, for the Lakers. And as I said at the open, once you're a Laker one time, they have to eventually reacquire you at some point to finish the cycle. So, Uh, That would finish his cycle. He would be back on the Lakers. I think everybody loves Jordan Clarkson, though. Um, So I'm sure everybody, I will say we on this one, we love Jordan Clarkson (laughs) and we want him back. That's Uh, fair. And and especially if it sends out Russell Westbrook, because I think a lot of people are are over that experiment. So um, that was all kind of came out on Friday. The Lakers also had like their 15th, free agent workout that may or may not have included Isaiah Thomas, a lot of odd stuff going on there. Um, I I specifically don't necessarily want to talk about the jazz stuff because like I said, last time you were on, we talked a lot about the jazz. So uh, that stuff has been out there. Not really anything new on that front. Instead, this is something we, you and I had talked about before all this news came out. We're going to do another rewatchable type of podcast. I did one of these a couple weeks ago where I'm blatantly stealing from the Ringers Rewatchable podcast. I'm not even going to pretend like I came up with it. I love the idea that the, or the concept of their podcast. They do it with movies. I just took the idea and apply it to old NBA games. Honestly, a little surprised that they haven't done that. But I just, uh, for those that have listened to it, it's a very simple just copy and paste of the uh, awards. I take out some of them, change some of them to apply to NBA games. Uh, if you haven't, you'll catch on to this real quick. So uh, I brought Alex on to talk about the game this time, the uh, 2000 Western Conference Finals, Game 7 against the Blazers. Chose this game because for those of you keeping up with the Hulu Lakers documentary, uh, this game was the focus of last week's episode at the end of it. It reminded me how awesome that game was. I rewatched it last week before I had even kind of decided on this. Um, and so I thought we could rewatch it as a whole and I love watching the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. So we're going to dive into this one together uh, before or we'll start off. I'll just kind of set the table, give you a little cliff notes summary of the game. This is on YouTube. That's how we rewatch it. If you guys want to go and rewatch it, it's free. Go ahead, throw it on while you're doing some work around the house um, and laugh about Bill Walton. He's a he's a, a joy in this broadcast. But game starts out. Kobe and Shaq basically defer the entire most of the first quarter. It was a really slow, slow start. Um, Shaq did not have a field goal in the first quarter. Kobe um, didn't do a whole lot. They were just I'm not entirely sure why, but. Both of them were deferring. They were combined one of seven 
from the field in that first quarter. Naturally, the Lakers started slow. Shaq's first field goal doesn't come to the middle of the second quarter. Now, at the same time, he was drawing fouls at an insane rate in this game. Uh, this was kind of prime, un, like physically unstoppable Shaq. He only went 2 of 4 from the field in the first half, but he was 5 of 8 at the free throw line. Um, Arvita Sabonis had three fouls. Bon, or, uh, Brian Grant had two fouls. Jermaine O'Neal, a very young Jermaine O'Neal, made a cameo in this and picked up a pair of fouls. Uh, nobody could stay in front of him. However, the Lakers were just really struggling on offense, and it didn't really matter. Uh, this was kind of an indirect version of Hackashack, where they were fine fouling Shaq because nobody else was really doing anything. This was also one of those games where it's basically shows how impossible it was to officiate Shaq because he was constantly being fouled. But if the if every game was called, I think this game was pretty fair in terms of calling the amount of fouls Shaq had to deal with. If every game featured <laughs> this many fouls uh, on Shaq, everybody would lose their mind. So this is kind of what it made it hard to officiate Shaq. I think LeBron has a lot of the same biases against him and that he's fouled a lot and they just stopped calling it at times. Um, but the Lakers struggled for most of the second quarter. Third quarter, they they kind of stay close, can't get over the hump, and then Portland absolutely takes control of this game. Uh, the Lakers did take the lead at 51-50, and then Portland responded with a 20-5 run that completely took the life out of the Staples Center. Um it was soul sucking to be honest. It, it was, it was rough to watch. If I was in or in the moment, I, I didn't watch the game live. I don't know if you did. Or we can talk about that in a minute, but in the moment I would have, that would have been awful to have to go through that. Uh, they talk about it in the Hulu doc that Phil Jackson kind of went to the huddle and said, well, whatever guys, we're going to lose this one. Good job. Nice try. We'll come back next year and win the title, but this one's over. And it, to be honest, pissed off the, the Lakers. And that was the fuel that led to them uh, storming back in the fourth quarter. They were down by as many as 15. They eventually come alive in the middle of the quarter and go on a 25 to four run, an absolute tidal wave that was never really slowed down. Uh, culminates in Bryant to Shaq, the alley-oop that everybody remembers. Lakers made it a little hairy, closing it out at the end, but ultimately uh, come away with the win and head back to the finals. Before we dive into any of these or go into any of these um, categories, these awards, what was just your thoughts on the game? Did you watch this game live? And just what do you think kind of rewatching this game? Yeah, I did watch this game live. Um, I was at the time 12 years old, so I was obviously in the – peak of my young fandom at the time. And, and yeah, I mean, I just remember it being, you know, that stretch in the third quarter when, when they essentially can't do a single thing. And I mean, everything that could go wrong goes wrong in that stretch. Uh, Steve Smith is the best player in the history of basketball in that stretch. That was um, wild. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's, you know, you kind of brought up those memories of frustration of desperation, you know, just yeah. being like, Hey, this is it, you know, for the longest time, you know, you at the time, having gone through the losses against the Jazz, those air balls from Kobe, getting swept by the Spurs, you know, I think the year prior. Um, now this, you're thinking this is the year, and now 
you're you're down to the fourth quarter and they're they're up 15 points, 13 points. So yeah, I mean, I, I relive those memories, but obviously now knowing what was how it was going to end was a lot sweeter and. And seeing that still brought goosebumps. Like watching this, I was like, I'm so glad you made me watch this game again because I forgot that just sheer joy of that alley. It's, I mean, it's just exhilarating in that moment. So, yeah, I definitely remember that. And, and wow, what a what a beautiful start to that dynasty. It was such a cathartic moment. You could just tell it was this release, uh, and that's how they they framed it in the Hulu doc. That's what made me want to rewatch it. Just this, it was this long battle for the Lakers to get back to the finals, be competitive again. It was supposed to happen when Shaq signed, they struggled. And it was that moment that it felt like we're back. The Lakers are back. And the, the most rewatchable sequence is the first category. There is nothing else than Bryant to Shaq. I don't know if you wrote anything else down. I didn't even consider it. Yeah, no. it's, no, it's, no. it's, I guess the better question would be, is this the kind of defining or most memorable highlight of the Shaq and Kobe Lakers? Like when I think of the Shaq and Kobe Lakers, I think of this play. Is it, is that the same for you? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's, I wouldn't even say there's something that comes second. I mean, you could argue that yeah. that series against the Blazers was the NBA finals. I mean, those yeah. are the two best teams in the NBA going at it. So you know, going into the Pacers, obviously, you know, different series. But, I mean, it's just the culmination of everything prior to that, as you mentioned, you know, those, you know, that 96 was when Shaq signed Kobe gets drafted. It's still three to four years until they finally make it. So it's it wasn't a just a, oh, hey, it's, you know, here we are, let's win the title. It took some time, took some really bad losses to get to this point. So, you know, that by far, I mean, it's just, and, you know, even every time I watch it, I can't believe how high, Kobe throws it like he like only Shaq could get that only you know those type of athletes could get that because it was just incredible that he's able to kind of bring it back with me and just you know flush it down it's just incredible it was a hell of a play for I mean that wasn't a play that the Lakers did often it wasn't like there was a lot of Shaq or Kobe to Shaq lobs and I mean considering it's game seven of the Western Conference final like to be able to get up like that, like more power to Shaq. That was, it was an incredible play. I would say the only thing that would come close is the Robert Orr shot against the Kings. Um, For sure. But I think this one being directly Kobe to Shaq is, makes it pretty far and away. Number one, I, that is easily the most rewatchable sequence. You could watch the whole fourth quarter. I've done that many times. Just pull up the game on YouTube fast forward to the fourth quarter because it, it really is just a tidal wave. Like Portland has nothing going on uh, in that fourth quarter. I will, I have something down. We'll talk about that later, but that, that fourth quarter is fun to watch because it always culminates in Bryant to Shaq. And if I'm being honest, most of the time I turn it off after that. I mainly because the Lakers made it really dumb after that to close <laughs> the game. Cool. But uh, I just kind of turn it off at that. I want that to be like, all right, they blew the whistle. Game's over. Lakers went to the finals. Regardless, it, it's the defining moment of that generation. What's age the best? What did you write down? Anything that since the, in the 20, good Lord, 22 years since this game, what is age the best for you? You know, I was kind of trying, you know, this this was interesting. I was trying to come in with something unique, as I always try to 
you know, bring this perspective. And what I really thought, again, it was Kobe's stat line. You know, he led the Lakers on every category, points, rebounds, and assists. Um, you know, you have all this talk from people that, you know, Shaq carried Kobe and this, this, and that. And to see it in this game, granted, you know, the Ali was from Kobe to Shaq, but really Kobe was was truly the, you know, the the one that carried the team on his back. You know, you have some great plays by some great players, and we'll get into it later because there's some different categories. But, you know, Shaq, uh, Kobe at the time, what, a 21-year-old kid? Uh, you know, coming through for for your team in, in the Game Seven of the Western Conference Finals. I mean, it's just incredible that at that age, at that level, for him to be have that killer instinct. To me, is what you know just kind of proves it even more so. What type of you know incredible athlete he really was. I honestly did not realize that. That is, I love that. I had never heard that before. He had twenty five points that led the Lakers. Shaq had eighteen. He had eleven rebounds. Shaq had nine. He had seven assists. Shaq had five. He had four blocks. Shaq and Robert Ory each had one. He The only category he didn't lead in was steals. Uh, AC Green and Brian Shaw each had two. I love that. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that before. I hadn't seen that before. That's always what these types of games, Christian and I did uh, the 2000 um, finals, the game against the Pacers where he took over in overtime these always serve as such a reminder of like how good he was so early and as a as a 21 year like we talk about um players who are good at a young age now and how great that is Kobe was like all NBA level. Like it's hard to really even put in perspective how good he was at this age. Anthony Edwards right now is the same age as Kobe was uh, in this game. LaMelo ball, like that draft class. Uh, those guys all are the same age now as what, as Kobe was. LaMelo is like a, maybe a generational point guard for his, for his age. He's not even really close to what Kobe was at at that point. So these are always just reminders of, of how good Kobe was so quickly on in his career. I wrote down two things: Bill Walton as a commentator, incredible. <laughs> uh, he was he was a little rough in this one. He really was adamant that the Lakers were not doing enough to get Shaq the ball. Um, it's interesting listening to that now because he kind of had like NBA analysis in this. And I wish he would do more NBA games. Now it is off the rails when it is when Bill Walton is calling games. There's some analysis in there, and I he's still a very smart basketball mind, but it it is any it can go anywhere when when he is calling games. But having him on the call for this was a lot of fun. He he is earnestly one of my favorite guys to listen to. I can't wait for him to call hopefully big 10 games because <laughs> UCLA is a big 10 school now. Um, Rashid Wallace, I wrote down aged well from this. Uh, he was unreal in this. Uh, he was only 25 at the time and uh, played a couple more years in Portland before eventually making his way to Detroit. Uh, he would get a bit of a last laugh on the Lakers, obviously, but um, he was incredible in this, but, if I'm picking a winner, I, I love your stat. That we're we're calling that one a winner. Kobe um leading the Lakers in everything is awesome. I love that. What has aged the worst? 
I have one. It's been a pet peeve. I think I've pointed this out before. The current lighting at the Staples. Turn the lights on. I love the watching these old games and being able to see the people. I know the idea <laughs> is that like it's supposed to be like this theater setting with only the lights on uh, the Lakers and it's dark everywhere else and yada, yada, yada. I love this old lighting. I don't know what, what you think, but turn the lights back on. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth with this and, and I'm glad you brought it up because I didn't notice that. And you're like, wow, I can truly see the entire crowd and their reaction. And obviously down the stretch as we're going through the fourth quarter, I mean, it, the place is going bonanza, you know, and, and you can see everything. So yeah, I, I get the whole, you know, wanting to put the center stage on the, on the game, but I think I do. You're right. I think you seeing the fans brings a different dynamic and you put for opposing teams, especially if it's, the Staples is, or what, what, I'm sorry, that's not the Staples anymore. Um, it's uh, a crypto Staples, one. It's, it's a Staples. <laughs> but, you know, you, you want to see those reactions and, you know, for those players to feel that pressure, right? The, that Staples Center crowd and kind of, you know, down the stretch in the fourth quarter, you want that to be, you know, visible within the player to, and that, I mean, could that have caused the, play, the Blazers going you know, cold in the fourth quarter? Maybe, maybe not, but I think I'm with you on this one. Yeah, whenever there's like big runs, with the current Lakers, like I like seeing the fans just losing their minds and you can't really see that, uh, in the, in with the kind of the modern setup. So I've been on this stance. Uh, I, I will die on this hill. Turn the lights back on at Staples center crypto, whatever, turn the lights back on in the arena, uh, because it looks so much better. Another one for me that, I mean, the jailblazers just in general, like this team, <laughs> this blazers team as a whole, uh, has not aged particularly well. They're not remember like this should have been this like maybe not up and coming team, but this should have been a competitive team for a while. They were not. This was their peak, which will uh, something <laughs> a teaser for later. But uh, this was their peak, and it was because they could not stay out of trouble off the court. You have anything else on what's aged the worst? Um, I think the only thing that I really jot down for this category was just the, you know, the three-point shooting, you know, by both teams. Oh, yeah. You or know, lack thereof. Lack thereof, I should say, exactly. Um, you know, Portland, if, when they look back at this, especially with, with the metrics the way they are now, eight for 15, 53%. I mean, you know, that is insane. You're hitting 50% of your threes and, and, you know, you only shot 15 times. And, I mean, you see a stat, you know, stat score now and you're like, that's that's the first quarter, um, so it's just incredible to see how the games change and how, you know, we've moved away from your generic back to the basket center and more from the and let it fly. I'm glad you said this because uh, I I notice it, but I have uh, I've pointed it out. I feel like a lot in uh, in pretty much every one of these kind of old school ones. It was there were just moments in this one where. Ron Harper's taking like a a 17 footer instead of taking two steps back and hitting a corner three pointer. And Brian Shaw is shooting from 20 feet instead of 22 feet or, or whatever the line's at. So it drives me nuts. I'm not going to lie. I, I hate it. I almost wrote it down, but I was like, ah, I complain about this a lot. Like uh, I probably I'll, I'll skip out on this one. I'm very glad you wrote that down. I would gladly make that, uh, 
things that age the worst, but I was trying to look it up. I don't know if I can even find it. Games that uh, there were less than even 20 three-pointers attempted last season. Uh, I can't imagine it's many. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there were quarters that I'd imagine that they team shot um, 15 threes. That always is what sticks out. The Lakers offense, like, it could have very easily facilitated three-point shooting. Like, there were there were openings, but um, they just the way that they were kind of indoctrined at the time, it wasn't even to think about uh, three-pointers. So there were 18 games last season that had 20 or fewer three-pointers. There were only two that were 15 or fewer. Uh, the Blazers shot 15. The Lakers shot 19. Um, so yeah, things have changed just a little bit, <laughs> since, since this game, um, half-assed internet research, there's only a couple things on this. Uh, one of them, I literally stole directly from the broadcast. The Lakers were the only team that season not to experience a three game losing streak. They sure. did because if they lost this game, it would have been a three game losing streak. They did not. They did not lose three games in that season. I was going to look up how many times they did that last season, and the thought of it uh, <laughs> made me mad, so I just chose not to. They lost three games in a row a couple times last season, and I'm sure uh, everyone uh, will be fine if I leave it at that. The other thing, I mentioned this when we did that aforementioned Lakers-Pacers uh, podcast, but... I went into more detail on that one. Glenn Rice hated Phil Jackson um, and they did not get along. Uh, he went on a, about, I think about a year after this, uh, he left, obviously left the franchise. Um, he went on a, a tirade on the record to the LA times. Uh, just, he did not like Phil Jackson and the way he was used in Los Angeles. Um, if you if you have time, just search Glenn Rice, Phil Jackson, Lakers, and it's the first thing that'll pop up. He was not happy. He was not a happy man uh, about the about his time with the Lakers. He made some big plays in this one, but it was uh, more the exception than the rule for his time in Los Angeles. Greatest what if slash sliding door moments of the game. First one I have. What if the Lakers had traded for Scottie Pippen? Phil Jackson very much wanted him. I think it was uh, they were going to trade for him instead of Glenn Rice. I don't remember the holdup, um, but Phil Jackson very much wanted him. Scottie Pippen very much wanted to be in Los Angeles. They could not get the deal done. How much different does that kind of Lakers team, those teams maybe, look if Scottie Pippen is there instead of, say, Glenn Rice? You know, it's interesting because throughout the course of that game, he, he played so well. And one of the commentators even mentioned, oh, he does all the little things. I think it was Bill Walton, actually. He takes charges. He He's on the floor and stuff like that. And I thought to myself, wow, that would have been really nice to have on our side. But then again, you know, obviously he's looking to get that championship, you know, away from Michael, right? He's trying to get away from his shadow. And, you know, he would be a, coincidentally in a different shadow with Kobe, right? So, does Kobe get to be that player still who was able to, you know, kind of take over those games in those moments? Or does Scotty come in and kind of puts down his six rings and said, hey, you know, kid, let me, you know, <laughs> let, let me guide you, 
Um, so I think that's would be the, 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 my little kind of a holdup, if you will, as to, uh, you know, any negative things that can come out of this. But the player himself, I mean, I mean, he's so long, so gifted defensively. Granted, he was in the latter ages of his career. However, you know, he was still very serviceable. And I think, you know, you, you would have to put your money on the Lakers still kind of playing off that championship run with him on there. The rumored deal was Glenn Rice, Robert Ory, and Travis Knight for Scottie Pippen. Knowing mm. how important Robert Ory was to those yeah. teams, is that a deal you think you would have done even in hindsight? In hindsight, right now, no, I'm not doing that deal. I mean, I I think I, you you can anybody who wants to debate me on this, I'm fine. I mean, Robert Ory deserves his number to retire on those Raptors. I know he doesn't qualify because he's not a Hall of Famer, but I mean, I don't. So many shots from that man. I mean, you know, even in this game, I think he only hit one three, and it was such a timely three when he did hit it. Um, and and it's just he just had no fear in those moments, and that's just such a valuable trait to me. And that's one thing I was, you know, I, I think we're gonna get into it a little later, but. That stretch where the Blazers couldn't score, Rashid Wallace, he was shook. You know, he oh, just yeah. couldn't, you know, could not get the ball to get in the hole. And, um, and I thought to myself in that moment, like, man, these players who, when it comes down to crunch time in these games where this is where your legacy gets set or it gets tarnished forever, it just doesn't matter. Ice in their veins. And he was that man. So in, in retrospect, hindsight, I wouldn't do it. I think in the moment, you know, without knowing what we're like sure about to win three championships, then yeah, I think you you you'd, you'd be a fool not to you know give Scottie Pippen a chance. But hell no, if that that answers your question, I'm not taking Scottie over Robert. Yeah, that that trade was in 1999. Um, before this, it was when Pippen was trying to leave Houston. Uh, right. It was the Lakers who wanted him. So who knows? It's an interesting what if. There's another interesting what if tied to this game that. We'll talk about here in just a moment. So this was alluded to a little bit in the documentary. I don't think there's it's too much of a leap in logic. If the Lakers lose this game, do Shaq and Kobe ever play together again? That's, you know, it's funny. That's exactly what I wrote down for this, is if we lose this game. That was my biggest winner. Um, one of the reasons was the Lakers lose games five and six. So mm-hmm. the Lakers are potentially blowing a three to one lead in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, we would which, be the meme. Exactly. You know, we would be associated with three to one. So that's, you know, when the first thought came to mind. Uh, and second, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, I think you're, if you're Kobe in that situation, you're frustrated, right? You know, knowing that you're kind of barely blossoming. Obviously, the situation with Shaq is a little fluid there. You know, does the Shaq, I mean, or, or Kobe go to, go to management, go to Dr. Jerry Buss there and say, hey, it's, you know, it's me or him type situation? Potentially. I mean, that's such a heartbreaking loss in that manner. Um, lose three games in a row for the first time, you know, that whole year. Um, who knows what we're looking at? I mean, who knows what, what if we still have these, you know, those championships in the, in, in the, in the rafters? I, I don't think they, are, they stay together if they lose this game. Uh, Kobe was very much rubbing people the wrong way um, that again alluded to in the documentary. They had to have a team only meeting where Kobe was called out. Uh, if you read Jeff Perlman's book about the three Pete Lakers, Kobe was very much rubbing people the wrong way. It You can put up with it if it's coming with titles. That's ultimately what they did. They dealt with it. They just got over it basically because they were winning titles. Like you said, if they lose three straight, they don't want a title yet again. 
and Kobe and Shaq are at odds with one another. They might have just went to the front office and said, pick one of us. That leads to who do you pick? That's almost an impossible question to answer in hindsight. Um, it, it would be a really hard question to answer in the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think these two play together again on, on the Lakers and probably ever, judging by how much they hated each other, uh, if they don't win this game, which makes that Bryant to Shaq lob just so much more meaningful uh, because it sealed them and and Lakers lore and and gave us that three-peat that probably isn't happening if if that play doesn't happen. Dion Waiters heat check award. I wrote a couple guys (laughs) down. Uh, Judging by a comment you made earlier, who who do you have written down on this this category? Yeah, I mean, that one for me was kind of easy. I mean, it seems Steve Smith, I mean, oh my God, I mean, just absolutely incredible in that stretch. I mean, I think there was one of them where it truly was a heat check and he just drained it. And I'm just like, incredible. And, and that's one of those, going back to the what if, when I was trying to think of different things, uh, that was one of my things that Hopkins didn't give, you know, St- you know, Smitty the ball more. You know, yeah. why didn't he shoot, t- you know, three or four more times? Because it seemed like he was any, hitting everything with shooting. I think close second, not to steal an answer from you, um, Rashid was just incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. there was some shots of just I mean, insane and, even in that moment, I was thinking, man, that area of power forwards was so good. He was arguably the third best power forward in the Western Conference because you got, you know, Timmy and you got KG. But he was so good. I mean, you know, some shots and, and little fadeaway turnaround. I mean, incredible. And, and, and obviously he was the game's leading scorer. So, uh, but yeah, I got to go with Steve. Lakers had no answer for Rasheed Wallace. Um, he was literally unstoppable. I think throughout the whole series, he was basically unstoppable. 23 and seven on 49% shooting uh, from the field, 7 11 from three. Sheed was in, incredible in this series. I wrote down Sheed. Uh, he was technically the leading scorer on the Blazers, but it was only 16 points. This was a, I don't want to say weird Blazers team, a very balanced Blazers team. There were a lot of guys that were kind of low double figures. Steve Smith, I wrote down, the dude was unreal in the third quarter. Uh, Brian Shaw is the other guy I wrote down. He was unreal in the fourth quarter. Um, he hit some absolutely monster three-pointers. One of them actually closed the third quarter. And then fourth quarter, he made a couple of really big plays. He was huge for the Lakers. Uh, played nine minutes of that fourth quarter, two of three. Both of them were three-pointers. But yeah, it's I think it's Steve Smith. That man about single-handedly ended one of the greatest dynasties in the NBA's history because he absolutely caught fire in the third quarter and could not miss four or five from the field, two of three from three in the fourth quarter, 10 points, or excuse me, the third quarter. Uh, he scored 10 of his 18 points in that quarter. So he was unbelievable. And I would have been throwing so many curse words directed towards him in 2000. If, uh, if I was watching him single-handedly destroy the, the Lakers, but Fortunately, as you said, they didn't give him the ball. <laughs> they uh, they fell apart in that fourth quarter, and he was a little bit a part of that. But Steve Smith's the answer because best chemistry guy. I I wrote down Brian Shaw and Rick Fox. I mean, Rick Fox was brought to the Lakers as basically the chemistry guy. He didn't do a whole lot in this game, but Brian Shaw came in in that fourth quarter, really kickstarted things. Again, I'm kind of tying the end of the third quarter into this, but. Really kickstarted things. He he hits a big three at a timeout, uh, and or hits a big three. They call a timeout, and he's 
yelling at the guys to come on and whatnot. So I think Brian Shaw is the guy I wrote down. I don't know if you had anybody different than those two names. I didn't know. Brian Shaw was my guy too. I mean, you already mentioned it, but he that three to close the third was so crucial yeah. because if that, I think, gets it down to 13 um, with his shot. And then, you know, if not, you're like, it's a whole different ball game going into the fourth quarter. His makes it a little bit more reasonable. And then there is a sequence where um, he has a uh, Kobe blocks. I think it's Bonzi Welch's shot, like the emphatic block that is just incredible. That leads to a Brian Shaw three, and that got it down to five or six or something like that at that point in the fourth quarter. I mean, you, the Lakers don't win this game without Brian Shaw. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. Like, if Brian Shaw is not on this roster, they do not win this game. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, this, and it's just incredible, this timely shooting. I mean, again, very similar to to Rob, where it's like, you know, I'm I'm going to love these players for the rest of my life because, they're you know, in, in that moment, you kind of asked me earlier, what does it feel like? And his, his three was so also very beautiful threes in the sense that there were straight switches, right? So, you know, he's shooting in rhythm. He's, you know, got a feel. So, yeah, no doubt in my mind, Brian Shaw. Um, I was kind of surprised Rick Fox had a really, you know, statless game, if you will. I mean, obviously he's trying to do his best uh, on the defensive end, but yeah, I, you know, I've always kind of really held him in high regard, but in this game, at least he wasn't as active as you would like him to see, but yeah, you know, B shots going to be the guy. Rick Fox was probably worried about having to separate Kobe and Shaq in the locker room if they lost. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Brian Shaw can wrap scouting reports to the Nuggets all he wants after this because, yeah, he's a legend in my eyes for his performance in this one. Grady Little uh, award for the biggest coaching F up. It's like a runaway. Mike Dunleavy, what were you doing in the fourth quarter? You were (laughs) I, I did as much in the fourth quarter as Mike Dunleavy did, and I didn't watch this game. I don't know that he was watching the game in the fourth quarter. It was, there was no subs. There was no timeouts. It was just vibes in that fourth quarter uh, that he had. I mean, technically like seven guys played. Most of them were like Arvita Sabonis played five minutes and Brian Grant played six nineteen because of fouls. So like, that's basically one person. He just didn't try anything. It, they missed 13 straight shots and he just watched like, it was unbelievable. Every time they cut to him on the sideline, arms crossed, blank stare, just looking straight ahead as if his whole coaching career isn't crumbling around him as the, the Blazers just can't do anything in that fourth quarter. What did you – I don't even know. Like, what do you think of, of – did you do as good of a job as Mike Dunleavy in that fourth quarter? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, you know, kind of sat there and watched and just kind of saw it all unravel, <laughs> which is exactly what he did. I mean – yeah, I just you know the, what a, a benefit for us to for him not to make a move there, right? Not even a couple timeouts to get his team kind of going there. And, and you know, you would think you know in Phil's, you know, you look at it from a perspective of from on the other side, Phil is over there, you know, getting his team riled up by just saying, "Hey, you guys are about to lose, so I might as well just turn it in, huh?" You know, great kind of reverse psychology there by the Zen master. While you know, Mister Dunleavy over here is just kind of probably thinking, uh, "What time Cancun is is going to be ready for him?" So yeah, I mean. It's just incredible uh, lack of, you know, coaching, you know, just, you know, didn't didn't give a damn. (laughs) He was ready for his vacation. He even had, I don't know if something happened, but when the Blazers were just going crazy in the third quarter, 
he had a, a moment where he called a timeout himself. Like the Blazers are in this big run. The Lakers are shell-shocked. And he and Dunleavy called the timeout, but yeah, that was a precursor for that. Yeah, that was a precursor for just an incredible fourth quarter performance. Like it I it was I was just laughing at, at the idea that he just changed nothing. Like I don't know if he thought eventually we have to make one. I they made like one, but uh they made five shots in the fourth quarter. Rashid made three of them. Um they uh unbelievable i it, it that should be the to me and i might change it for our show the mike dunleavy award for biggest coaching effort because <laughs> it, i don't even know what he was doing the unintentional comedy moment uh i wrote down two a singular moment Shaq diving into the stands in the third <laughs> quarter i i tried to picture what my thought process would be if i saw Shaq flying at me I think it would just be prayer, like just hope, <laughs> because that man, credit to him, he went all out. I mean, it was a game seven, like doesn't come really close to saving the ball. He was well, well out of bounds, uh, takes one step on the people slash seat in the front row and launched himself into the second row. And I was just cackling. Uh, but to me, uh, for my choices, I'll let you give yours in a second. My unintentional comedy moment was just Brian Grant attempting to do anything matched up against Shaq because it was just not working. What did you have written down for this? Um, so, yeah, it's funny because the, the Shaq one was very obvious, right? Because, you know, it reminded me of, I think it was when he was with the Suns and mm-hmm. he's in the diving towards his bench and the just bench clears like it's the parting Red Sea, right? It's just they, they knew what was coming, which was Shaq. Um, but no, the one that I had written down for this one specifically was, I didn't realize this, but there, there was a place in specific, but they had a, a kind of a tussle back and forth. It was Robert Ory and uh, Devin uh, Shrimp. Devin Shrimp, holding hands. And, the, and yeah, and he's holding his hand, and then like Shrimp is like, what are you doing? Like, let me go. And like, like Ori's just kind of holding to it until he finally lets go, and he's like complaining to the official, and he's like screaming at him, and I just didn't make any sense was that kind of <laughs> mind play coming from, from Robert, but I mean, and then it, it's funny because they kind of went back at it and back at it, and 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 he, it kind of came through clutch for the Lakers because he drew a couple fouls down the stretch in the fourth quarter. I want to say, um, yeah. on Shrimp, and he got some free throws. Two of them he missed entirely. There was a, a visit where he missed free throws the entire time. But uh, yeah, that that was hilarious to me. I'm not sure what's going on with that hat. Yeah, Bill Walton said it was like, <clears throat> excuse me, Bill Walton said it was like a Moses Malone move where you. Right. It looked like Robert right. Ory was just grabbing his hand and just squeezing as hard as he could, and it was <laughs> it was bizarre. Yeah, no, it, that very much falls into that category. Broadcast complaint award, I didn't really have any other. Bill Walton really wanted Shaq to get the ball, and that was his – he said that the entire throughout the entire game, that the Lakers didn't do enough to get Shaq the ball. I mean, he was kind of right, but I he just kept hammering home that point throughout the I mean this isn't really a broadcast complaint it's another thing I have voiced before but I hate not having the scoreboard and clock up there throughout the whole game but at all times right yeah outside of that I didn't really have any complaints did you um it's funny because you know you mentioned Bill Wong he's a UCLA guy so obviously I kind of favored my UCLA Bruins right but um he had a sequence there where I think Kobe 
I want to say it was maybe the third. I think it was the second half for sure. And he drew like four Blazers defenders, right? And he draws the foul. But, you know, Bill Wong was like, well, Kobe wasn't looking for his teammates there. Kind of, you know, selfish move there. And I was like, whoa, whoa. You know, that was kind of the moment that I had to, you know, look back and be like, look, Bill, he's, he's he turned out to be pretty good. I think he deserves the right to, <laughs> to shoot the ball with four people draped on him. That wasn't the first time nor the last time he was in the that. Say, that, so, it, that became yeah. a very common occurrence of him shooting with four guys on him. Uh, yeah. I love the NBA on NBC broadcast. To that point, Apex Mountain, that's one of them I wrote down. NBA on NBC, like this era of NBA on NBC, absolutely awesome. Obviously, everybody knows kind of the, the intro music. I love the the kind of broadcast, the way they do it. The Blazers franchise in the modern era, like this was it. I know they won a title with with Bill Walton uh, in the 70s, I believe, or 80s. Since that, this was their apex, this this series right. against the Lakers. Um, the the uh, Mike Dunleavy is a head coach up to that fourth quarter. That this was his apex mountain, uh, because it we saw his apex and decline in real time at the same time in this one. Um, that uh, I was looking up to make sure he didn't actually do anything else. Uh, he did not after this. Uh, he won coach of the month that season. Did not do win anything else after that. Uh, it, what what did you have down? Is there anybody else's apex mountain for you? No, no, no. I'll just echo the same sentiments about the NBA and NBC. I mean, it's just, you know, it's literally my phone ringing right now. So if you call me right now, that is the, the, the ringtone that'll pop up. Uh, and Bob Costas, I mean, I'm just such a fan. And granted, mm-hmm. nostalgia plays into effect because I watched these games growing up. But there was something about him when the broadcast began. He had his little spiel about leading up to the game, these two different teams. It was just... I don't know. It was different to me. And don't get me wrong. Mike Green is great. And I love his bang shots and stuff. But, you know, there's nothing like Bob Costas to me. He's just an incredible commentator and, and truly the apex for me in this category. Yeah, 100%. Bring Bob Costas back. Bring NBA and NBC back. I love his little monologue at the beginning of each game. Funniest in-game promo. There wasn't really any promos. I wrote, I wrote down Magic's interview because he said the Lakers <laughs> need to play faster, but they need to play faster with Shaq. And I, it was, it's not a surprise that my Magic Johnson did not work out as a general manager because his logic did not really make sense on that one. Did you have anything written down there? No, no. That I think there wasn't much there beyond that interview, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah I just thought it was funny. It was pretty, pretty much of the same for Magic. Who won the game for you? Obviously, the Lakers literally won the game. But uh, I wrote down – the Kobe Shaq duo slash the three P era Lakers, however you want to phrase that they come away victors in this one. Did you have anything else written down? Yeah. I mean the, you know, the, I think the Brian Shaw, Robert Ory kind of unsung heroes type of thing for me really comes out in this game and what they end up doing, you know, moving forward as well, I think is truly something that needs to be recognized because we're all going to remember Kobe to Shaq always forever till our last day, but you know, Brian Shaw is somebody who, if I ever see him on the street, I'm just gonna uh, <laughs> ask him if I can give him a big hug because he shaped my childhood in a very positive way. So I appreciate that, B. Shaw, if you're listening, which I know you're not, but just in case. <laughs> the I'll add one more, I didn't write it down, just thought of it in the moment. Bob Costas comes away 
a huge winner in this with the Bryant to Shaq call. And mm-hmm. that honestly, we probably should have mentioned that somewhere. That call specifically, it's simple. I'm a big fan of announcers making a call and then letting the moment breathe, basically. Yes. Which he did that all the time. But especially in that moment, just shut up because it was pandemonium. Everybody's losing their mind. Let that tell the story. And, the, and he was he was terrific at that. But that just Bryant to Shaq, those three words, you could say that to any Lakers fan and just about any Lakers fan and they will know what you're talking about. So I would slot that in there, but I, I think obviously the, the three Pete Lakers, Kobe Shaq duo, whatever kind of way you want to phrase that they come away the winners in this one, because this, this kickstarted it. This, like you said, I, I, this was the finals. I know things got a little interesting in the finals, but this one felt like the hump they had to get over. And that was a case for the next two years after that. But this was the hump they had to get over to get to the finals. And this was the beginning of it all. It was a fun, fun game to rewatch. Would not have been fun to live in the moment. I, I That would have been absolute heartache. But uh, Brian Tashak will forever live on. Uh, go watch the, the Lakers documentary on Hulu if you haven't. Especially that episode. I think it's episode six. It's the one that aired last week because that gets into this kind of timetable uh, era for the Lakers. It culminates with the Bryant to Shaq game. Gives you quite a bit of insight on where this team was, where the franchise was in that moment, and just adds another layer to to this uh, moment for, for the Lakers. So thanks uh, a ton, Alex, for coming on and, and reliving this game with me. And, uh, let everybody know where they can follow you at. Definitely. Well, you know, it's a pleasure. And thanks for having me on, sir. Um, you guys can find me on Lakers Outsiders. Um, my Twitter handle is Alex Torres underscore uh, LA. So you can find me there. Awesome. Thanks again to all of you for tuning in. We might, actually, we probably won't. I was going to say we might squeeze another one of these in, but training camp starts next <laughs> week. So. I love doing these, but I, I don't think I can rationalize squeezing another one of these in. But uh, training camp starts next week, so there's there'll be plenty to talk about. I, we, we're this close. We almost made it through the dog days of the offseason. Uh, so thank you guys for tuning in all throughout that. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to us at. We'll continue to have coverage throughout the week, uh, whether there's a rush trade or not. Uh, but in uh, until next week, for Alex, this is uh, Jacob. Thanks for listening, everybody.